Would you stand with me as we continue in our Advent series, Heaven Came Down? Today we're going to talk about a new identity. And we're not trying to talk about what the world's talking about as far as identities, but uh, we're going to talk about our identity of faith in Jesus Christ. We're going to read John chapter 1, verses 10 to 13, as we get to the words that are there in bold. I'll invite you to read those aloud with me. I will begin. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. How many of you have been reborn? Jesus Christ has come into your life. Father, as we look into your word, as we look into what the Holy Spirit led John to write so that we could understand how the, different, the difference that it makes in our lives and how you came to this earth, Lord, would you... Uh, would you give us fresh energy, fresh passion, and help us to listen to the voice of your Holy Spirit? We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen. amen. You may be seated. This world is filled with people, especially our country, people trying to identify as something else, right? <laughs> or someone else and uh, all kinds of craziness going on. And John tells us that the word came so that we could identify as children of God. Now, a couple of things theologically as we jump into the text today that uh, might be helpful in your understanding what John is writing about. When John says the world, 78 times in the book of John, he uses this term, the world, the cosmos. It's the part of creation that lives in rebellion. Say that word with me today, rebellion. Were any of you ever rebellious as children? Any of you have rebellious children now? Rebellious husband? Oh, I see a rebellious husband over here, the wife pointing to him. So, God, through Jesus Christ, came into a rebellious situation. You know, sometimes we're watching a football game, and uh, you, if you didn't understand where they were playing, you would think they were playing somewhere else. Like, you know, those crazy Steeler fans, they show up at these other stadiums, and their cheers are louder than the home team cheers, right? Or maybe the Ravens game, I heard one of those was like, man, there's a lot of Ravens fans there. You, you hear them. Well, when Jesus came to this earth, he came to the stadium he had created. He came to the hometown, you and I, that he had created. And what did they do? They jeered. They rejected. The world lives in rebellion. For God so loved the world. Why did God love the world? Because you're cute? Because you have a lot to offer? Because of everything you've done, all of your merits? No, he came because he just loves us so much. Because of his great love, not because of our merits. And in writing, John writes about the light. What does the light do? The light exposes us. It exposes true character. Some flee from the light. Others repent when the light comes. Now, in Jewish thought, Messiah was going to come for Israel. But I'm so glad John reminds us that he came for the world. He came for you and me, not just because of a human DNA, but he came because he loves us and he came to the cross. First John, we read the term again when he is writing his epistles, born again. There is a supernatural transformation that takes place in those 
from this world of rebellion who embrace the light of Jesus Christ. Let me give you three thoughts from the text. The first is this. The world still rejects the identity of Jesus. This world still rejects the identity of Jesus. Have any of you ever got, received a, a rejection letter? Somebody or maybe you, anybody here ever been rejected? Okay, we, I think we all have. But I read a rejection letter that was, uh, that was sent out from the literary magazine called New Delta Review in Baton Rouge. This, here, here's the letter. Thank you for submitting. Unfortunately, the work you have sent is quite terrible. <laughs> Please forgive the form rejection letter but it would take too much of my time to tell you exactly how terrible it was. <laughs> so again, sorry for the form letter. <laughs> I think that letter could have come from heaven, couldn't it? Everything that we did, how we've messed up things, how we rejected God from the Old Testament to the New Testament. But he came into the very world he created. The world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him the people with the Old Testament, the people with the Word. In Paul's writings, Jesus was vindicated. As you read the epistles, you see him vindicated as the Son of God, not by the incarnation, but by his death and his resurrection. I'm so glad he defeated the cross, and so we have freedom because of that. In the epistles, there's not much said about the incarnation, not much said about when Jesus came to earth. But as John is writing, and the synoptic gospel writers, they answer this great question, who was Jesus? Was he just a man who went and uh, sacrificially gave his life trying to pay for the sins of the world? Was he just a great rabbi? Was he just someone who could work miracles? Matthew, Mark, and Luke answer this question. And, and John gives us the most detail about Jesus. He explained that it was God who became flesh, 100% God. 100% man, the incarnation. And because of this, Jesus' words weren't just the words of a man. His deeds were not just the, word, the deeds of a man. His sacrifice was not a man's sacrifice, but it was the Son of God who came in word and in deed and gave his life. John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5 says, The word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and what? The darkness can never extinguish it. I love that word, never. Say that word with me, never. The, it's never going to be extinguished by the darkness. You can turn on the news. You can look at what's going on in this world. And friends, there's a lot of darkness in this world. But his light will never be extinguished. Jesus makes it clear, or John makes it clear, that Jesus' own people rejected him. And especially the religious leaders, the ones who should have known and John gives us these metaphors of the darkness. John tells us that Nicodemus came to him when? At night. Jesus departed the upper room when? At night. Jesus was betrayed when? At night. Just metaphor of the darkness, the darkness that's around, that was around him and is in this world. You know, the world is not neutral, is it? The world has chosen sides, either for God or Son Jesus Christ or not and living in rebellion, that's where the world is. Jesus, again, did not have that home field advantage. In John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, this part right after, part of the meeting with Nicodemus, right after the famous text of John three sixteen, we read, and the judgment is based on this fact, 
God's light came into the world, but what? The people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. Herod was a type of Satan in the Christmas story. We won't probably be talking much about Herod next week when we have our production and many Christmas stories. We, we just kind of read over that. But here's Herod. He's a type of Satan. And what does he do? He murders countless baby boys trying to destroy this child, the child Jesus. Joseph had to flee with Mary and Jesus to Egypt to save Jesus' life. You know, today we still have Herods on this earth, don't we? Still have people who think they can get rid of Jesus Christ. Those who should know better and those who are full partners with evil. They reject the light. Who could have ever imagined this great country called the United States of America? That the country that for a couple of centuries was most very well known for sending missionaries around the world and taking the light to places that had never heard the word of Jesus Christ. Now we've become the country that exports sin and embraces the darkness and celebrates the darkness. And, and just, uh, you know, just, let me give you a quick example. You look on, I don't know about you, but on my social uh, feed now, everything's about gambling now that it's legal in Maryland. Everything's about uh, putting substances in our body to not make us have to deal with the real world. And it's tragic. It's tragic. We have educators who teach that this Bible is a book of myths. This Bible is the Word of God. This Bible is Jesus Christ. It is the Logos. It's the logic for us. The Western civilization and this world based on this book. We have a new Herod. It's been around for a while called Plant Parenthood, don't we? Just killing the children, destroying the preborn, destroying those who would one day have an opportunity to follow Jesus Christ. See, the world smiles at the babe in the manger if you keep him in the same category as Santa or Elf on the Shelf. And sadly, many churches in our nation will sing carols, they'll light candles, they'll help the poor, but they'll reject Jesus as the Son of God. If he's not the Son of God, forget Christmas. We don't need to be here to celebrate that. We celebrate it because he is the one and only Son of God, even though the world rejects his identity. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father am one. The world rejects him. Now here's hope for us. Second thought is, believing in Jesus creates our new identity. We read from John, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God. Into the darkness of the world, hope was born in that manger. Into his own creation that was hostile towards him, hope was offered. The darkness of this world still cannot extinguish the light of, of the word, the light of Jesus Christ. Now, what is identity? It's not changing, trying to change our gender, trying to, I don't know, all the crazy things that are going on in the world. It's sad, isn't it? It's just sad how broken the world is. 
It's a reminder of how much people are struggling and they want to find hope, but yet they're doing it in ways that are just destroying who God had created them to be. Let me give you a definition of identity. It's the collective aspect of the set of characteristics by which a thing is definitively recognizable or known, how we are known, how we are recognized, something that gives us identity. We've had in the news in the last year or so, maybe last two years, Harry and Meghan have walked away from what? Their identity is, is royalty. Gave it up, don't want it, whatever, you know, wherever you are in that, I'm not here to judge, whatever, but they've, they've taken on a new identity. They've rejected an identity. Well, I'm so glad that Jesus came to give us the opportunity to become royalty, <laughs> to become kings and priests and become his children. And so there's royal blood that now flows through our veins, and that's how we are now identified as sons and daughters of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and he put it this way, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has what? Become a new person. The old life is gone, and read it with me, a new life has begun. We've been born again. Our identity is in Jesus Christ. 2,000 years ago, in the fullness of time, God took the initiative and he sent Jesus so that we could be redeemed. We could be bought back. We could be born again. Only Jesus can give you this identity. Works can't give you this identity. It's not about religion. It's not about how kind you are. It's not about how nice you are. It's not about the knowledge that you have. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6, verse 6 says, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that what? Sin might lose its power in our... Read that with me again. Let's read this boldly. Sin might lose its power in our lives. So as we're walking this out, we're, we're no longer slaves to sin. Sin keeps losing its power. Have you found that true in your life? That's called sanctification. That's called being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And as we walk, the sin has less and less power in our lives. We identify as children of God. This past February, Scotty Scheffler 25-year-old beginning his third season in the PGA Tour. He was ranked 15th in the world. He was still seeking his first victory on the game's top circuit. And on Sunday, April the 10th, some of you know what happened. He got one of those green jackets. He became a master's champion. In a press conference after his victory, uh, sporting his new green jacket, Scheffler was asked how he balances his desire to compete, which is fierce, without letting it define who he is as a person. Scheffler opened up then about his faith, and this is what he said. The reason why I play golf is I'm trying to glorify God and all that he's done in my life. So for me, my identity isn't a golf score. Like my wife Meredith told me this morning, quote, if you win this golf tournament today, if you lose this golf tournament today by 10 shots, if you never win another golf tournament again, I'm still going to love you. You're still going to be the same person. Jesus loves you and nothing changes. End of quote. He said, all I'm trying to do is glorify God. And that's why I'm here and that's why I'm in this position. All that we must be doing with our lives is glorifying God. 
It's not about the title on the door. It's not about the education. It's not about all those things. It's are you glorifying God with your life? You are born again. When you're born again, that's what happens in your life. Again, this world rejects Jesus, but believing in him gives us a new identity. And let me give you the final thought. Our new identity creates new aspirations. We, we have new direction in our life. John said they are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or a plan, but a birth that comes from God. How many of you grew up with your parents had plans for your life? And a lot of other people had plans for your life. Maybe teachers had plans for your life. Let me tell you, God has a plan for your life. He's the one who created you, and he has given you a new birth. And so in this new birth, you get to start over again. When translator Des Oatridge was working in Papua New Guinea, he came to the words in John's gospel, born again. He asked his native co-translator to think of a good way to express it. The man explained this custom. He said, sometimes a person goes wrong and will not listen to anybody. We all get together in the village and place that person in the middle of us. The elders talk to him for a long time. You have gone wrong, they say. All your thoughts, intentions, and values are wrong. Now you have to become a baby again and start to relearn everything right. It was the answer Des was looking for. Today, the words of John 3.3 in the Binumeran Bible, about 1,200 people that read this language, read as an English translation, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he becomes like a baby again and relearns everything from God's word. I think that's a great translation, isn't it? It's not just about making a decision, oh, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. It's about relearning. It's about being tutored by the Holy Spirit and understanding the ways of God. Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. And then read this aloud with me. Think about not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Is anybody in this place looking forward to sharing in all his glory? Looking forward to that place he's prepared for us, knowing that sin will be vanquished, knowing that we will really understand our new identity in Jesus Christ. You know, one of the problems we have in the American church today is we have a lot of unconverted Christians. Unconverted Christians. People who show up on Sundays or show up on holidays, special days, they maybe attend church, participate in the activities of church, maybe even serve in church, but they've not been truly born again. Their passions have not changed. The way they interact with people has not changed. Many of them are people who feel they really don't have any sin issues. They look out in the world, I don't do this, I don't do that, I'm okay, and I go to church, so I've been born again. But they still have their anger, they still have their issues, there's still bitterness, still things that are not changing in their life, and there's no sanctification taking on, a process taking on in their life. See, being born again means you have a 
new identity in Jesus Christ. Now, when you're a child, you, those of you that have kids over in the kids' ministry today, their identity is generally bound up in their parents, isn't it? As you're growing up, oh, you're the son of, you're the daughter of. There's, there's a connection to your earthly parents. As you become a teen and you begin to uh, go out into uh, spread your wings beyond the house and beyond just being a, a, a grammar school, elementary school student, uh, your identity seems to become who others perceive you to be. So if you're gifted, if you're the athlete, if you're the brainiac, if you're the popular person, you begin to rely on that, and that's your identity. Well, if I play ball and I do well, then I get scholarships, and this is my identity, and this is who I am. Or if I, maybe it's the cheerleader and all the boys that are interested in her, and she uses her uh, physical attributes to uh, say, okay, this is my identity. And you know, all those things can lead to abuse, can't they? They can lead to bondage. They can lead to being addicted to those things, addicted to, you know, if you're the popular person, it can maybe lead to you being the abuser because you're used to getting your way. Or if it's be about sex and you end up sometimes being abused and your identity can tend to be that way as a teenager. Maybe as a churchgoer, your identity can be, well, I go to this church and um, I keep all the rules of the church. That was one of the struggles for my brother who was a prodigal and I've talked about his story before, and I don't want to get into the details of his story this morning, but you know, some of us, how many of you are firstborns in your family? Look around, folks. These are the people who like rules. They like to keep the rules, and so they, they like everything done right. That's generally, that's who we are. And so you put us into a church that has a lot of rules, and generally we're like, yeah, we like to do that. We like to please mom and dad. Then how many of you are secondborns? And Thirdborns, you're the rebellious people. You're, you don't like rules. No, no, no. <laughs> Amen. Okay. Some of you are married to some of them. Okay. <laughs> and there becomes a time that you don't like to keep the rules. So if you take that and you, you lay that over church, and so people who are grow, growing up in a place where oh, they get rewarded for keeping the rules, well, church, and there's rules, and I just want to follow all the rules and what the pastor says, and here's their book, and this is what we're supposed to do and not do. I keep the rules. Identity comes in that. Real challenges for people who don't want to keep the rules and don't understand, and it's all about the rules, and then they become prodigals. Then they, they leave the church. Let me just say this to you moms and dads especially that have, that have children at home, have teenagers at home. Don't make the church about rules. Don't turn this into a rule book do this and you do that. Make sure it's a relationship book about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's why we come to church on Sunday morning. And look, it's the Lord's day. It's the day we get to go and honor the one who gave his life for us. Not just we've got to do this if we're going to get to heaven. We've got to go every Sunday morning. We've got to, you've got to be in this ministry or that ministry. These are the rules. Don't, don't, don't make Jesus a bad guy. He's not a bad guy. <laughs> He's a good guy. He loves them, and he loves you, and sometimes we do that, and it's, it's kind of easy to say that. You know, sometimes here at, at Trinity over the years, uh, I remember years ago, I, I would say something to uh, someone who was running the facilities, and I would say, you know, this, this needs to be changed, or that needs to be changed. You know, can we, can we and, and that person needed to talk to a person that was working under them or two couple levels down. And you know what that person sometimes would go? 
Well, pastor says, you know, the windows need to be cleaned better. Pastor, you know, just like, like oh, that's not what I want. I'm trying to be nice, and I'm just asking you to go and tell them, and you make it into, I'm the bad guy now. Some kids growing up, Jesus is the bad guy. God's the bad guy. He's the killjoy. He's the rule maker, and it's all about rules. As you become a young adult, quite often your identity can get wrapped up into your career. Maybe it's schooling, education. You know what? There are a lot of young people out there that are miserable, aren't there? That have found that career and found the money. I was talking to someone recently, they said um, a relationship there, a young lady in her 20s working in New York, making a quarter of a million dollars a year. And she's looking for a place in Montana because she wants to get out of New York. She's already tired of making all the money with all the pressure and all the hours and everything that goes into it. Our identities wrapped up in that. Sometimes these young people, if we're not careful, moms and dads, we, we spur them on to sell their souls to the corporation, to sell their souls for what they can put in their pocketbook. Parents, can I talk to you for a minute? Your, your identity might be wrapped up in the success of your children. Maybe your world revolves around protecting them giving them a better life than you have, every possible advantage. That's good. We, sh we should want to bless our children. We should want to see them succeed. But you know, God cares more about your children than you do. Sometimes your children need to have some bumps and bruises going through life. Don't protect them from everything. Let them understand the results of consequences. And don't let your identity just be in your children. Then they go the wrong way. They make some decisions that you wouldn't have made. And the rest of your life is you feel the regret, you feel the weight because all of your identity was in your children. You should love them, of course, but don't let them be your identity. They're, they're in the image of God. He's the one who's controlling their lives ultimately. But later on as adults, maybe uh, kids are gone and maybe you've the things you've embraced through life have kind of lost their luster. You know what I find? A lot of people trying to find their identity in good works. Some people serving, giving, helping. That, that's, that's all admirable. But, you know, sometimes people do good works and don't even like the people they're doing the good works for. Many years ago, I got a call from uh, one of our members who had taken a position uh, out of a... Uh, um, C-suite position at a nonprofit in Washington, D.C. was going to help the disadvantaged with housing. He called me up one day and he said, I remember sitting in my office, and he said, Pastor, would you please pray for me? He said, the people who run this organization are racist and they hate the poor. He said, how can I even work here? But yet the world will look at, oh, this, is, this nonprofit, it's a great, look what they're doing. And <laughs> People in there trying to find their identity and make money, they, they don't even care about the poor. Let me give you the solution to all of this. When you find your identity in Jesus Christ, you can have confidence as a teen. You can resist the attractions of the world as a young adult. You can, you can be moral without your identity being shattered every time you break a rule. You can find fulfillment in your career, and you can trust God's plan for your children, and you can serve with joy because I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. I'm a child of God. 
Too many Christians have given assent to the truth of who Jesus is, but they haven't allowed the truth to change their hearts. On the screen, you'll see a photo of, uh, of myself and Phil Nauer, and in the middle is George Wood. We were in Armenia with a number of pastors uh, visiting and uh, had a great time with George. George was the superintendent of the Assemblies of God. He's gone home to his reward, but just a, he was an attorney and a Christian at the same time and a leader of the Assemblies of God, uh, just a wonderful man. And George told this story that in Israel, he would take, often take groups to Israel, and in Israel, there was a center for Bible land studies that our denomination, the Assemblies of God, had. And uh, in honor of our superintendent, they had named it the George Wood Bible Lands Study uh, Place. And so George was over taking a group of people through Israel, and he says as he was uh, in his journey, he had some extra time, and he wasn't far from the, the study center. So he thought, you know what, this will be great. I'll take these people over to the study center, and they can see what we're doing, and we'll just take them on uh, just a little tour of it. So George gets the bus loads, and they head over to the center, and, it's, and he knocks on the door, and finally, after knocking a few times, somebody comes, and the man opens the door. He says, hi, I'm Dr. Wood, and I'd like to take this group of, uh, that's with me. I'd like to show them the study center. The man said, I'm sorry, I, I can't let you in. I'm the caretaker, and I don't have permission to let anyone in. And George said, well, wait a minute. See the sign out there? It says, Dr. George Wood, that, that's me. Is it okay that I can come in? And then the caretaker still said, no, I'm sorry, you, I can't come in. I'd have to get permission. You, you're not allowed in. The door was open a crack, and George Wood said, as he's talking to the man, he looks through, and there's a painting of himself, and he said to the man, look, I'm right there. This is, this, this is me. Can I come in? And the man wouldn't let him in. Revelation, Jesus stood at the door of a church. We think about it as an individual, and certainly he can stand at our heart's door and he can knock, but he stood at the door of a church and he said, would you let me in? Don't be a church attender who says, yeah, I believe he's the son of God, but really hasn't changed my life. I still find my identity in my work. I still find my identity. I still have these issues going on and I'm not even allowing the Holy Spirit to work on them. If you claim him as Lord and Master of your life, if you have Jesus Christ written across the doorway of your life, and you say, I believe in him and he's in my heart, would you take this Advent season to let him in once again and just say, Jesus, are there some dark areas from living in rebellion. Jesus, are, are, are there some, some things that I'm continuing to do because I think that's the way to make it in life and I'm putting burdens on you and putting burdens on myself that you never meant for me to carry. He's the burden lifter, isn't he? We sing about it, he's the way maker. He's the one who loves you so much that he came to give you a brand new identity. You're not just an engineer or a dentist or a mom or a dad or whatever. A child of God. He's made me brand new and he's teaching me every day through his word and through the power of his Holy Spirit.
Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? Would you in this moment just say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Holy Spirit, I want Jesus to be so welcomed in my life that there is no doubt that the door is always open to him. And Jesus, if you're knocking right now and saying, here's the issue, if you're knocking right now and saying, there's some peace that you've been living without, but I want to give you this morning, would you just open that door wide and say, Jesus, you're welcome. Or maybe you're watching or you're here and don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you grew up and church was all about rules and that was the identity. Maybe you've tried to find your identity in other things and you're just tired of it. You want to get off that identity, endless identity search in life and just say, I surrender Jesus. I surrender to you. This is how you do it. You admit. You admit my identity has been in something else. That, that's called rebellion. That's called sin. Jesus, I admit that. Jesus, I, I believe you're the Son of God, that you came fully God, fully man. You died on the cross. You were resurrected on the third day. Today, I choose to invite you into my life. You'll do that. Your life will be changed. That's what being born again is about. That's just the very first step. And then you allow the Holy Spirit to work on your life. Father, we pause and we pray right now. And we say, Jesus, you're welcome into our lives. Would you say that with me? Just say, Jesus, you're welcome. Jesus, you're welcome. Jesus, you're welcome. Holy Spirit, you're welcome. Lord, we repent of thinking that our identity is in a church, or our identity is in a family name, or our identity is in some gift that you've given us, or our identity is in some way that people in this world respond to us. We want people to see you when they look at me and us. Our identity, we want fully wrapped up in who you are. Your redeeming work. We want our aspirations changed so that we're looking forward to that time when we're with you. When we're with all who have gone before, who have put their faith and their confidence and their hope in you. Father, thank you for the brand new identity that we have in the one and only name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.